Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Welcome back to the TMBA pod. It's good to have you. Today's conversation is about some downsides of success. A little bit strategic, a little bit from a mindset perspective, but it's a contradiction, right, in life that sometimes when you get what you've been working so hard to achieve, you put so much into it, sometimes you can feel disappointed when you get there, you can feel anxious, and from a business mindset perspective, some aspects of success can suck. So let's make a, a success pun. Five ways success sucks. Sometimes it can be a competitive disadvantage having success in your business. Sometimes that can harm you and it can harm you from a competitive standpoint within your industry or niche. So from a very tactical or strategic view, sometimes it's tougher to be the incumbent, the successful company than the up and comer the hungry company that's able to do weird things at lower costs or whatever. Today, we are not going to focus so much on the strategic elements as the mindset elements, that the success mindset sometimes isn't all it's cracked up to be in those dumb books that don't reference anybody that lived more than 20 years ago. I'm so sick of people running seminars, of writing books, and just not giving an old hat tip to a Greek person, you know? <laughs> like, look up Socrates, Google that stuff, man. I mean, people have been thinking about this stuff for millennia. You know what happened, dude? Marketers came in. Marketers, that's what happened. Marketers came in, and they ruined it, and they erased everybody's brain from all these wonderful things that we figured out centuries ago. We're not going to reference any of those people today. We're just going to talk off the top. Five ways success has sucked in your life. Number one, Ian, is the rose-colored glasses. It's like in corporate life, when you have a Lifetime Achievement Award, they give you a gold watch. The equivalent for the entrepreneur is the rose-colored glasses. So when you have a successful company, you get them. And when you put them on, you see the world full of business opportunities that you personally would do a great job executing quite easily because you are an experienced entrepreneur and you know what you're doing. Fallen for this one before. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, for me especially, I'll just speak about me, use the term piss and vinegar. I think that I was, I was full of plenty of that. And basically what that term means is full of excitement, zero wisdom, energy, all go. You know, I didn't have any place to go but forward. I mean, you know, it was just all optimistic, all upside. Therefore, I was just willing to do whatever it took. And I think you get a little bit of success in your life. You get a little bit of money in your life and that piss and vinegar disappears, right? Well, yeah. I mean, knowledge and wisdom are good things, objectively speaking. But sometimes when your role is just to push enterprises forward, like anything that slows you down can be a liability. 
you know, if you're listening to this and you've been a successful entrepreneur, yes, your experience is valuable. Yes, technically speaking, your next business will in some ways be a lot easier to start, but not as easy probably as you think. It's easy to look back and to cover over all that piss and vinegar, all that hustle that you're talking about, Ian, and just forget all the time and energy you put into building what you have. So the first way success can suck is it can lead you to forget all the things that went your way, all the work that you put into it, and how fortunate you were the first time around that things worked out. The second way success sucks is sometimes it means you've made a deal with the devil. And this can manifest in a bunch of different ways, Ian, but so many of us find ourselves having built up a cash flow or a business in order to solve one kind of problem, like say, I want to be able to live anywhere, I want to be able to pay the rent, or I want to make this sort of retirement savings goal. Then you find yourself in a different sort of problem, which is like, man, this business really sucks. (laughs) If I'm going to maybe gesture in a certain direction, I often see this with service businesses is that, look, service businesses are great. You can start them in a weekend. You can leverage your expertise. You can get out there and start cutting big contracts. I mean, Ian, we could have brainstorm right now. Like You have certain skill sets that you could go out and sell programs or packages for five or $10,000. You sell a couple of those and that's a living. Easy. A problem becomes that you could become attached to this income. And now that's sort of the charter that you've got to continue to live your life on. Now you've signed up for the mortgage and you got to pay the mortgage based on those projects you've been selling. There's one way I've been thinking about this, Ian, and I haven't shared this with you. So let me just run this by you. In every business, I think there are sugar tasks and sugar projects and there's vegetable projects. You can imagine like a marketing plan, for example, like if you launch a product you're going to make maybe five times the income that month that you normally would. And so say you like build up all these emails and you build up scarcity and you give a price discount and it's like you launch and it's like, boom, 5X revenue. And now as an entrepreneur, you're thinking, dang, I could like launch every month and then my company would be five times bigger. And the problem with that kind of thinking is sometimes it can be making that deal with the devil. It's like, well, what would be a vegetable thing? Well, a vegetable thing would be like, you know, instead of doing the email launch, I'm going to like tweak the product such that there's product market fit and that like the sales go up two times, but it all happens off of like organic SEO traffic. Right. You have some kind of sustainable health from eating your vegetables. In taking sugar, you have some kind of burst. Right. And this is where like thinking about lifestyle business as opposed to like, I'll do anything to make money businesses those two different worlds, like lifestyle businesses can often give you like a strong competitive advantage because having personal integrity about what you will and won't do in your business can often be like a really strategically sound way to think about running a sustainable business. I don't want to have to live like the sugar lifestyle. I don't want to have to constantly hustle to pay the mortgage. It's an interesting concept, Dan, but I, you know, I'd venture to say, especially based on Americans, how much money they have in their bank account. I think I read some crazy poll that said most of them have less than $1,000. I could be misquoting that, but it was something very low. Most people don't think like that. Most people are paycheck to paycheck. How can I get this done today? How can I you know, have fun on the weekend? Most people are not on the vegetable diet. And 
Honestly, Dan, I don't blame him. I actually think that this is like a very unhuman quality and you might disagree with me, but I think it's very unhuman to be thinking so far in advance like we have to now. Like in your 30s, in your 40s, like you actually have to be thinking like, well, okay, so if I live until my 80s, how much money am I going to need? And if I have two kids and how much is that going to cost? And if they get a broken leg or need a car or whatever, I don't feel like that's a human quality, Dan, to be able to have to like project that far into the future. So here's a good reason why it makes sense to be on the vegetable diet for your business. And that's simply because you don't have to work every day. So the reason why I always built like sustainable practices why I always built products instead of services is so I didn't have to work on a daily basis. Like you sit down, you design it, you engineer it, you manufacture it, and then you just keep ordering it. Every once in a while, like you'd make like a little tweak to it or something, but my income didn't depend on me answering the phone. Of course, like it depended on someone else like fulfilling orders and hopefully someone else answering the phone if you can get to that scale. But it wasn't a hamster wheel, you know, whereas services can be. And so that's where I built my vegetables. There you go. And so what is the way to not make a deal with the devil? It's like with so many things in life, you have to defer income. That's just it. Yes, entrepreneur, I know things are hard. I know you're struggling. I know you got to pay the mortgage. But if you want to get on the vegetable diet, you have to defer income. It doesn't come up on the show much, but Ian, how many times have we had a debate in our company that's like, we shouldn't be making money right now. We should not be charging these people right now. It comes up all the time. And why? It's not because we don't like money. It's not because we don't one day want to make it. It's because the deferral of income is a way that you can focus on vegetable tasks. Because a lot of times, you'll have people beating down the door. In fact, if you're doing your marketing correctly, they'll be saying, we want to buy that sugar. We're here. You know, take the money. And sometimes as an entrepreneur, you got to say, look, that's not what I'm trying to build. What I'm trying to build is something that addresses that need that I'm seeing, but in an elegant, efficient, automated, insert buzz term, whatever you want to say, in a way that's sustainable and delivers value to more people over more time without your direct input. That's the systems thinking to me that is at the core of entrepreneurship. Being a hustler, anybody can just go out and be a hustler, right? Like being an entrepreneur requires more thought than that, I think. Today's show is sponsored by dynamitejobs.co. It's our newest baby and target something we're passionate about here at the TMBA, helping your business succeed through growing amazing remote teams. And we know from personal experience just how hard it can be to find the right people And that's why we've designed Dynamite Jobs to address that problem. So starting at as low as $200, we can help you find your next remote team member. And for $500, we'll handpick the best candidates using a pre-vetting process. We call it WiseMatch. And it's designed to save you days, even weeks of your time determining the top ranking candidates for the role that you need. And for those of you seeking remote jobs, I urge you to register with us. It's completely free. I promise you we're not just the next job board. We want to work actively with you to identify ideal positions for your skill set. So whether you're looking to hire great people or whether you're one of those great people who feels that your skills are wasted in your current company and you want more freedom and flexibility in your life, check out dynamitejobs.co today. Okay, so the five-way success sucks, the rose-colored glasses, the deal with the devil, including 
the sugar versus vegetable distinction, which no doubt we will now be discussing. <laughs> I like it. Number three, the blood suckers. The blood suckers concept is when you go from being resourceful, as Paul Graham, famous entrepreneur, investor, and essayist, once said, entrepreneurs are those who are relentlessly resourceful. What does that mean? That means that you can do the amount of work that some bozo successful people, it might cost them half a million dollars or a million dollars to buy the amount of labor that you, one entrepreneur with piss and vinegar and vision and energy and caffeinated beverages can create in a year. Well, now you got some resources. Things have changed. And you start to deploy the resources. And I'll tell you the one way I really screwed this up, Ian, is all of a sudden I forgot that the calendar is a fixed thing that applies to all people equally. Like just because you have some resources, <laughs> you still have seven days a week, 24 hours a day. That ain't changing, you know? And sorry, but getting some virtual assistant to book your plane tickets is not going to change the situation, okay? I got a little fast and loose with my calendar, Ian. One of the things we were talking about, I was saying like, if I'm in good health and I'm focused, I can maybe put three to four hours of rubber to the road every day. And I'm talking like creative, good work. And sure, like there's emails and phone calls and stuff. I'm not counting all that. Now, that three to four hours is my future. Now, all of a sudden, you start signing up for stuff. You start saying yes. You start saying, yeah, I'm going to do that thing. Well, you break it down and that thing could easily be 40 hours of your creative energy, right? Just a fun side thing, someone's asking a favor, whatever. And now all of a sudden you're signing away that three to four hours that's your legacy, that's your future. Yeah. At the core of it is, is at the very beginning, we really owned that time. We knew that. We knew that intuitively, that in order to build a better future, we needed to work. Well, then you get a little bit of resources and you think, ah, you know, I will do that other thing. I am really interested in yoga. I'm going to become a yoga teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Which is valid. It's valid. <laughs> Your point is basically like, in the beginning, you have like a lot of vision and a lot of it's like very direct vision. So it's like, this is the one thing that I have to do to change my life is I have to start this company. I have to work really hard. I have to deliver this product. This is all going to get me to where I want to go. And then you get there. And you think like, oh, okay, I have a little bit less vision. I have a little bit less energy because I'm older. I have a little bit less imagination because I've kind of fulfilled all the things that I've dreamed about having. And so you start filling up your time with things that don't necessarily make you happy. And I think this is why, you know, maybe they say a lot of people with money aren't always happy is because they, they don't actually have a vision for their life and the things that they want to be doing with it. Not only that, but Having some resources can cause some other problems in your life, Ian. I mean, the point here is bloodsuckers. It's not only you that can be spending this, but also the people in your life. It happens a lot in a company context. You know, it could be employees, it could be partners, it could be customers taking advantage of you. I mean, there's all different ways that people close to you can start to change the dynamic, you know, if you don't protect that resource and have a vision for that resource. I think. One famous philosopher called this Mo Money Mo Problems. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I remember him. I think this was in the 90s. So, you know, technically speaking, that's like been a couple years. I'm not reaching back to. We're going to reach back a little bit further on the next point, which is the struggle for meaning. Yes, we're going there. Why not? A lot of people, they get some success and they kind of ask the question, is that it? There's this kind of popular trope. It's like sometimes people are scared of success or scared of succeeding. And there's a wisdom in being scared of succeeding. Because if you organize your whole life around a so-called goal, and then you get to the goal, well, what's the implication of that? Like you're just supposed to sit there at the goal and be like, great. Your whole life was organized around getting somewhere. Now you're there. Well, now you got to get somewhere else. This is why I think a lot of successful people, Dan, are a lot of times depressed is because it's just this constant goal setting, right? It's this constant, I set a goal, I made it. I set a goal, I made it. There isn't a goal that I can't set that I can't make. Oh my gosh, I'm amazing, but I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. (laughs) I've seen this a lot. And it's actually something that I struggle with a bit too, Dan, which is like, try not to set too many goals for yourself, you know? Try not to let yourself down so much, you know? A lot of times I'll get halfway through the day and I'll be like, ah, there's so many things that I was supposed to accomplish today. It's like, well, who set that out in front of you? You did, you bozo. (laughs) So if you want to get it done, be effective about it. If you don't care too much, don't be beating yourself up too much. And final point is like, don't put so much pressure on yourself, especially if you're successful, especially if you have a couple of dollars in the bank. Well, this can come back to maybe some vegetables versus sugar, which is like, Get yourself on the vegetable diet. This is something that you can do as a successful entrepreneur. You can afford vegetables. You know, you don't have to eat processed food anymore. So what does that look like? One of my favorite books of all time, Ian, is called The Myth of Sisyphus. There's this image in the book of this guy. His task is to roll this boulder up a hill. And when the boulder gets to the top of the hill, it rolls back down. And he's got a basically go down and roll the boulder back up again. And the story's longer and there's a lot of implications, but one we can draw from it is like, this is a metaphor for life. One of the implications might be like, you know, find a boulder worth rolling. Part of the reason so many successful entrepreneurs like glorify the early days is because there was struggle that gave those days inherent meaning. And it came from struggling through the process of building a business. Well, that's something that you can create in your life. You know, you don't have to like wait for the world to deliver that onto you. You can put yourself in challenging situations. You can find boulders worth rolling. I guess it's a tough thing to do. Particularly when things can feel meaningless because, you know, they are a lot of times. Like that's the thing. Yeah. I don't want to like go too far off the trail here, but a lot of these frameworks that we talk about. A lot of these goals, a lot of these myths, like culture in a company, they're lies. They're lies. We create lies. That's what entrepreneurs do. We create falsehoods that people buy into, right? That's how you motivate your team. Things that aren't necessarily true about the world. So in other words, being entrepreneurs in some ways, we're making a little bit of deal with the devil ourselves. Okay, so number four, is this struggle for meaning. So far, we got the rose-colored glasses. We got the deal with the devil. We got the bloodsuckers. We got the struggle for meaning. 
And finally, we got Bubble Boy. Bubble Boy might be the uh, most real talk of the episode, Dan. I'm already sweating a little bit. I thought it was getting real already. This is a little bit more real, I think. I don't know. You tell me. Had the opportunity to drive across the country over the holidays, which was pretty cool. I hope to share that experience. But one of the things that I realized, I think I already knew a little bit, is I live in a bubble. You live in a bubble. I got to stop at a lot of Walmarts because that's what you do when you're crossing the country. Don't stop at the border, buddy. Exactly. America's a country that's doing all right, relatively speaking. Yeah, so to speak. Although, you know, another story about that in a second here, but got the opportunity to stop at many a Walmarts and see many a people. Just realize how fortunate I am and probably a lot of the listeners to this podcast, if you're able to subscribe, you have the time, have found out where we live, you are probably more fortunate than most of the people living in America as well. I do feel very fortunate to be talking and doing the things that we are doing. And I do feel like as you become more successful, it becomes even more important that you are empathetic of those that do not have as much. And, you know, one of the things that we do not talk a lot about, Dan, on this show is giving back and what it means to have empathy for people that aren't as fortunate. And, you know, everybody has their version of what that might be, but it's something to consider. And it's something certainly that I'm going to consider after I've taken this trip across America and just seeing how lucky we are. One of the things that I think has happened, Dan, to a lot of entrepreneurs and maybe even a lot of people listening to the show is we've gotten in the mode where we wall ourselves off. We find ourselves in separate rooms from our families, from our communities, headphones on, face to the screen. We're not really interacting with people a lot on a day-to-day basis, especially if you're making a living online. I had the opportunity to visit with a friend of mine that was in Miami. They have their own family. The grandma lives with them, and then they've adopted two other girls from her brother. So it was a pretty cool dynamic because there's like kids running all over the house. The front door is open. The neighbor's kids are running all through the house. It actually, Dan, reminded me a lot about hanging out in the Philippines because there's like this culture going on there that's like an open door policy. Everybody in the community kind of knows everybody's business, but yeah, everybody's very happy. And that was kind of the feeling that I got staying in this house for a couple of days. And that's always the feeling that I get when I'm in the Philippines. And none of that relates to having money. None of that relates to the kinds of success that we talk about a lot of times on this show. All of that relates to community, to having purpose in that community, to having a place in that community. And I think to just like living day to day and enjoying yourself and not putting a lot of pressure on yourself. So for me, Dan, it was a great trip. I got to reflect on that situation. I got to reflect on our time in the Philippines and really think about how fortunate we are. But then also just to see people with less than us and how they can be happy as well. And how they can have more. Yeah, absolutely. It's easy to have a lack of empathy because as entrepreneurs, you know, it starts with taking responsibility and personal responsibility and then you do so much and like you attribute your success or your luck directly to that sense of responsibility and action. And it's so easy to like sort of just look down on other people who didn't do that, I guess, or blame people for the situation that they've found themselves in. The other part of this bubble person thing is, is actually just isolating yourself. Yeah. And that with a lot of the lifestyles that we lead, whether that's you live in suburbia 
or whether like you move your location every month, all that shit can be really isolating. Yep. <laughs> and you have to be so proactive about having a community around you. One of the things I was I told you before the call is like, if it's like Thursday night and I sit inside and stare at a screen for a couple hours, I am not feeling good about my life. I don't feel like that's part of the human condition. Sitting by yourself in a room, looking at a screen, most of the time of how other people are living better than you are. It's just toxic. This is something like we're worried about smartphones. Like there's definitely like a all-time level high consciousness about the impact of the screen and the impact of the telephone and the impact of the social media stuff. As an American, I can tell you where this leads because one of your theses is like people say like the average American is more miserable than the average Filipino despite the wealth disparity. Right. That more or less seems to be true based on my experience. Now, why? Well, in America, we've been running this smartphone experiment pre-smartphone. We have long been isolating ourselves away from our friends and family. We've been buying these big houses that are very far away from each other, and we sit inside of them and we stare at screens. We've long been defining communities through how much money you have, right? It's like, how much money do I have to buy myself into that gated community, which isn't really a community? There you go. All right, Ian. So the five ways success sucks, the rose-colored glasses, the deal with the devil, the blood suckers, the struggle for meaning, and bubble boy. This is very emo. I like this one. I want to tell you something that happened to me over the break, and I want, to, I want you to do a psychological diagnostic on me. I'm here for you. I'm having this conversation, Okay. Sometimes entrepreneurial conversations, you're in these like sort of success circles and people, they're very earnest, you know? And so someone came up to me and was like, well, what's your plan? What's your goal for 2019? And I was like, oh God. And I was like stuttering. I didn't know, you know, I didn't have anything right there ready at hand, you know? I started to feel like less of a success already. I think the question was softened. And then the interlocutor then said, well, what are you excited about this year? There you go. And again, I was at a loss. My answers were like, you know, things are going pretty good. And then I came up with stuff just to end this conversation. I had to manufacture things. Like it was work. It was work. I had to come up with stuff. And the rest of the week, I thought, man, I don't have anything I'm excited about. And I don't have any goals. And this is problematic. <laughs> you know, I couldn't even hang in that conversation. And then you know what? I started to think, wait a second. That's BS. In fact, like I am not excited about 2019. I'm not excited about anything. I'm not excited about DC Austin. I'm not excited about DC Bangkok. I'm not excited about all these events that are coming up. I'm not excited about all these cycling adventures that I'm going to go on this year. I'm not excited about hanging out with you and your family in a couple weeks. And I'll tell you why. Because I want this whole thing to slow down, man. Today is Thursday and it's beautiful and I got a lot of stuff to do today and I'm excited about all of it. The idea of being excited for like something that's going to happen in April screws up my mojo. You know, like I don't want April to get here faster. I like the idea. I can relate to the sentiments of like slowing down. It also brings to mind, Dan, when I was a kid, and I think actually we've talked about this before. 
you and I have had similar experiences, just like just dying for some event, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait until Saturday. My head is going to explode. It's only Tuesday. <laughs> How many nights do I have to sleep before that thing happens? Well, dude, even having a job, I remember sitting at my desk on like Tuesday being like, oh gosh, Friday afternoon. Like on Tuesday, I was excited for Friday. That's what I wanted because I wanted to be out of that place, you know? It sucks. <laughs> I felt like that my whole school career too, like in high school. Like going to high school is such a drag, you know? And so, yeah, you get excited for basically anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like anything that's not that. And I just feel like that's the vegetable stuff, man. It's like vegetables can be fun every day. You're not always like having this amazing sugar thing happen. Like, oh my God, we had this amazing thing. And now it's like, we're down, you know? Yep. It's a very expensive habit chasing that sugar dragon, <laughs> trying to recreate all the magic that you had on Friday night. Well, Thursday wasn't a letdown because here we are again. Speaking of vegetables, almost the 10-year anniversary, boss man. We got to do something special for it. What's your favorite vegetable? Broccolini. I don't know. It's a little broccoli, dude. It's delicious. Oh, okay. I guess I'm, growing up, I was a big broccoli kid. Interesting. All right. What are you into? I don't know. I, I, I didn't prepare for that. Organic SEO. <laughs> the first thing that came to mind is like any vegetable that I can dip in hummus. So I guess hummus is my favorite vegetable. <laughs> Baby carrot. <laughs> yeah. Good show, boss man. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back as always next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.